welcome to the podcast of the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard. We are training coaches and coaching leaders because we know that only healthy hearts can know God deeply and follow Him fully. Because we care and we want you to reach your full potential, we coach you to choose life-giving reactions to the warning lights that show up on the dashboard of your life. In this episode of the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, I'm going to begin to unpack your very first session with a new coachee. Now, right before I do that, I want to remind you um, that it's unwise to begin listening here. Uh, There's a reason I've taken two and a half seasons of the podcast to build up to a conversation about what an actual spiritual coaching session can look like. You may be eager to get started, but please remember this, this is not about you. This is people's lives we're talking about. No, I do not think spiritual coaches need years of, you know, formal education to help other people pursue God. Neither do I think it will necessarily hurt anything. But you do need some training given the fact that this is not a game. You know, when I open up a game to play it, especially if I've played it before, I usually like to just start and refer to the directions if the gameplay gets stuck for, you know, lack of familiarity with the rules because you haven't played it in a while. You know, when I open uh, a game that's new to me, um, I've been known to read only enough of the directions to get started. Then we play until we don't know what to do. Since spiritual coaching is not a game, I suggest you not approach this the way I approach a board game. Go back and read all of the directions first, even if playing the actual game cannot happen for weeks or months. That's what I do. I want to get into playing so quickly that sometimes I ignore the directions. When it's a game, you can always just start over if you realize you missed a critical rule. And that is not true with someone's life. All right? I feel better now having said that, don't you? <laughs> in order to achieve our goal in spiritual coaching, every first session is going to be similar. And I steer away from saying that we have any sort of process, but we do take certain steps, primarily in reference to the first appointment. So to be clear, that does not mean that every first session will unfold identically according to some predetermined script in perfect order containing every element every time. When you begin coaching, you might feel lost and and if you know you follow a predetermined script quite closely when you're first getting started, that's fine as long as you do not force it by you know cutting people off or shoehorning some agenda in that I have handed you for the session. As you gain experience, things will flow more naturally and you'll develop a rhythm for those initial meetings. Just remember that this first three or four points that I'm going to make today, helping people relax and get comfortable and feel loved and care about, they're your primary goal in the first session. That is it. Any more is a bonus. Diving too quickly into the meteor stuff may make you feel like you've accomplished something, but it may cause them to feel the opposite. Some people are so weary that you will not get very far beyond hearing their story, if that far. In that case, only schedule a follow-up meeting before they leave. We don't normally schedule a follow-up meeting, but... In this situation, you would. In, in, in the next chat, you know, summarize what you heard them say in the previous session so they can make any necessary corrections if you didn't hear it correctly and pick up where you left off. For me, a full first session normally needs, uh, you know, 60 to 90 minutes, depending on how much of the story they, of their story they choose to tell you. If I can finish in 45 minutes flat, generally speaking, my hopes are not high that they'll soon return or that their motives for coming are clear to either myself or them. Again, these are all generalizations. It's 
it is complicated and difficult to talk about how to lead someone when every time you do, the variables you know, change because half the equation, the person seeking the coaching, is different. So to do this, to teach you how to walk through a spiritual coaching session and to give you some directions um, is difficult. And you have to remember that there's not a script necessarily and that you don't want to force anything. We're going to make some generalizations that will help, but um, I, you need to understand that I am making sweeping, generalized, and oversimplified statements to keep the conversation going and not bogged down in the minutia of the very many variables and variations that we could talk about for each session. We're not going to do that. We're going to be a little more general. All right, depending on your personality, you may or may not like all the uncertainty and room for variation in the craft of spiritual coaching that I just gave you. But know that spiritual coaching is not something that lends well to routine and order. So, you know, get that model out of your head. Right now, we have to keep in mind that each person is uniquely created when you mix the nuances of one's personal story with their personality and experiences and the many differences. Well, it means that no two sessions are exactly the same, not even every first one. Trying to calm your own nerves and fears about getting it right by treating one session just like another is potentially selfish and insensitive possibly harmful to the one you're coaching as well. And it is a good way to keep from doing what I describe that you should be shooting for in these first sessions. With all that said, let's begin. There are several goals of this initial conversation that might not be obvious because they are not directly aimed at the person's presenting problem. Goal number one is to help them relax. Uh, the first task is to help uh, the coachee relax as much as possible. Most people have never been in a spiritual coaching setting before. Uh, getting in the habit of asking if they have been in a similar setting before, and unless they are a, a long-term addict, you'll find out that it will usually be their first. Uh, most have never even considered getting one-on-one -on -one help for their relationship with God. Many will have never sat in any kind of counseling situation for their own life and relationships. I said earlier that unless it's a long-term addict, most long-term addicts, in fact, all that I have ever met, are familiar with the coaching session, If even if they're not familiar with a spiritual coaching session. If they do not know you personally, there is the awkwardness of talking about very personal things with a complete stranger. And many folks are not even in the habit of thinking deeply, much less talking about deep things with others. Lead us to say, much if not most of it, of this, of this spiritual coaching thing, especially their first time, it will all be new to them. Those um, who are the nervous, shy, reserved type will be especially uncomfortable. Those who have a low self-image, who hate to talk about themselves or, or draw any attention to themselves, will be understandably anxious. The thought of revealing what's going on in their life to another person may be terrifying. In fact, many who come to see a spiritual coach have exercised a huge amount of courage in just making the appointment, let alone in actually showing up. There will obviously be those who are very familiar with the setting and very willing to talk about themselves, but they may even be a little nervous the first time in. Sort of makes it sound a, like a, a bit of a miracle that anyone ever comes to see us. So it is. And that is my point. The chances are high that the person across from you 
is nervous. Maybe, maybe extremely so. And given that reality, I try to, you know, help them relax um, by making some small talk initially. That is one reason for the intentional way I design the coaching setting, as I'm going to explain in a moment. You know, talk about the weather if you must. It's it's not my style to tell a joke, but do try to get them to smile and laugh about something. The small talk may also reveal information about them that you can use to relate to them later. I will ask, you know, how are you doing today? Just to get something from them that I can make small talk with. And I employ an, uh, an abbreviate version, abbreviated version of this sort of effort at helping them relax at the start of every session. Diving right in can make them feel rushed and that you would rather get this over with so you can be elsewhere. Our first job is to help them breathe, take a breath, and relax. Of course, some folks come in and, given their drive to get to the point, their dislike for small talk or their nervousness, they launch into their issue no matter what the initial question might be. You you can ask them how they're doing and and. and they might pause a little bit, and they might say, good, you know, answer you with one or two words, but then they're right into dumping on you whatever it is they want to dump. Sometimes that happens. Um, I'm not sure what people expect the first time into my office, but obviously it is not what they find because they frequently mark about the environment I've created and or their experience. I hear over and over again, this is not what I expected, and I can't remember a time when that has been a bad thing, or... Yeah, when that has not been a good thing. Whatever they thought would have happened, it wasn't attractive or positive. And what they experienced was. So um, let's make that our, our second item. First item being to help them uh, to help them relax. And the second one being the setting. Uh, comfortable and familiar setting. The coaching environment may be more important than you think. When the request is made, I will sometimes have my first conversation in a public location. That can help if they are exceedingly nervous and cautious. But I don't prefer to do that because the first session gets the familiar with a setting in which they will be processing their pain and hurt and junk in following sessions. If we talk somewhere else, when they come back for a second appointment, it will be their first time in the strange setting that is my office, and that can be unhelpful. You may need to go slow and repeat some of the session one as they adjust to the surroundings and settle in. In that scenario especially, but in any case, the um, feel the need of coaching environment, the feel of the coaching environment is pretty critical. If uh, you were to walk into one of my coaching offices, either um, the one at home or the one at church, you'd find that it feels like you've just walked into your own living room. There's contemporary living room furniture, you know, table and floor lighting, not overhead lighting, uh, family pictures, homing decorations, and anything but the sterile cold feel of a business office. It is warm, both in temperature and atmosphere. Uh, I, I even keep a blanket for the gals that are cold. Tissues and a wastebasket nearby. You know, bookshelves and pictures on the walls. You see, the, the point is to help them feel at home, like they are in their own living room because most people feel safe, comfortable, and more chatty at home. Uh, yeah, recently I, I left someone sitting in my office while I, I took a quick bathroom break between appointments. And when I returned, they were looking at some of the family photos in an album that I, I keep in an end table uh, right in front of my couch. And they looked up and said something like, I love your office. It's so comfortable. <laughs> Nailed it. I had not said a word to them yet, and they were already comfortable. 
Most of the other elements I will talk you through are at least in part uh, designed to break down barriers, fears, discomfort, and try to make them feel willing to open up. And the photo album often becomes a means for creating the small talk that we're after. For instance, they'll see my wedding picture and ask with astonishment, Is that you? <laughs> Which then often leads to some laughter as well. And laughter is good medicine. Let's take a short break to give your brain a chance to rest. Did you know that this podcast is not the only resource that we have available to help you with your own relationship with God and your spiritual coaching efforts? TwoRivers.Church backslash life coaching, don't forget the hyphen, has dozens of tools and book links to help you in your life with God and your ministry to others. You can even sign up there to get spiritual coaching for yourself with Pastor Carrie, either in person or virtually. It's a work in progress and we'll be getting a facelift soon, but it's chock full of practical content to read, watch, and listen to. Wherever you choose to interact with Pastor Carrie online, please remember to rate, like, follow, and share so that other leaders and coaches can find this helpful content. If you would like to connect with Pastor Carrie, you can go to tworivers.church backslash lifecoaching, email him at carrie at tworivers.church, or text him on Twitter or Facebook by going to at SC dashboard. All right, let's finish today's episode of the podcast. Okay, goal one was help them relax. And the second point that was kind of under that, I said, let's take care of the setting, make it comfortable and familiar. So this is actually point three, but goal two, help them feel cared for. This is a goal um, that is extremely important and it probably doesn't need a lot of explanation. <laughs> uh, the first time, uh, this this takes time to establish, but one thing that, that both helps them relax, encourages them to feel like we care is if we ask them to share their story with us. Almost everyone likes to tell their story, to talk about themselves, and if and if not, they certainly like to be heard. I will often approach it by asking, so, something's brought you here today. What's going on in your world? Once they've tried to explain their struggle, which you would think would be easier to do, but is often not, I'll follow up with, uh, you know, well, uh, we'll certainly talk more about that, but before we do, could you tell me a little bit about yourself, your home growing up? Give me some, some backstory, maybe some details that you think contributed to your current struggle. You know, So when I, when I launch in, sometimes they want to launch right into their, into their presenting problem, but I have no frame of reference. I have no context. So I have to steer them kind of away from um, just focusing on fixing that problem to begin with steer them towards telling me a little bit about how they grew up so you can put their 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 issue, their struggle, into some sort of framework. Often, and especially if they have been to professional therapy, they understand quite a bit about themselves, but just have no idea how to affect the desired change. When you ask, what did you hope we'd get to talk to about, and, and then you talk about it, they feel cared for and heard. If they have trouble expressing themselves or if you have trouble figuring out exactly what they want from you, because that does happen, I just ask, so what exactly were you hoping that I'd, I would help you with today? Or you may even try with a smile and, and maybe a little chuckle, is there something you hoped wouldn't come up because you're not quite ready or willing to discuss it? Surprisingly, that may they may dive right in, but even if they do not, 
What they do say is often incredibly helpful. In response to that question, what they do say is often very helpful. And you may, you, you, you now know that there is something that they're holding back. So if you ask that question, they don't give you the answer. You've got a valid, a, a vital point of information. Hmm, there's some issue, all right? There's some issue of their life, some part that, that is so either embarrassing or whatever that they're not going to tell me. And, and, and you need to know about that if that's true. When they tell you why they won't talk about it, they're talking about it. <laughs> it breaks the ice. And if they push back, you show yourself to be sensitive with a simple, well, thank you for your honesty. I'm, I'm honored that you'd feel comfortable enough to, to be that open with me and, and tell me that you really aren't ready to talk about it. Um, what I have done is told them that openness and honesty is okay, that their reluctance will be respected, and that, that a no from them when I ask a question is okay. All which should encourage further transparency. All right, my um, fourth point here is about taking notes and notice the specifics. Um, while they talk, I, I will take notes. It helps me stay engaged and to listen well. And if I explain quickly, so sometimes they kind of look down at my, my writing several times and I can tell maybe they're distracted by it or they're wondering you know, what I'm writing down or maybe they're even wondering if what I write down can be seen by somebody else. And if I explain quickly, quickly um, the, the, the what and the why behind the notes, it shows that I'm trying to listen well. Uh, I will try not to interrupt, but I will ask for, you know, a name or how old they were at a given time so I can refer back to the right person or time frame later. Again, using the right name or, or year or relation helps them feel like I'm truly listening. <coughs> I also try not to cut them off or otherwise get them to, to stop talking. Often in later sessions, that may be necessary, but hopefully not in this first time out. As John Maxwell, the leadership guru, says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When folks feel they have not been fully heard, they may feel like they've not been heard at all. So let them talk. Besides, what you learn by watching and, and listening can be invaluable, invaluable information. I watch for body language around particular stories and names and just their demeanor overall. I distinctly remember just recently talking to someone who sat so stooped over in their chair that they faced the ground the whole time they talked. They did not just look down. Their, you know, their eyes weren't just directed down. Their face was actually towards the floor, perpendicular with the floor. They were literally looking at the floor while they were trying to talk to me. That says something about how they feel about themselves more than their words do. And when I reflected back what I was seeing and what I thought it could mean, I touched on something very key to their healing. So watch. Uh, stories like that where body language says it all can be repeated a hundred times over. What do I write down? Well, I write key life events to get the general flow of their story. Like I said, I'll, I'll write down, you know, a year and age, names of the, 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 you know, spouses and children and moms and dads and aunts and uncles and uh, just, just even particulars, not just even what I'm, I'm hearing when they say something that seems to me to be significant, you know, I'll record it sometimes word for word so I can repeat it back to them when they do not believe they said a thing or felt a certain way. I, you know, too many times to mention, um, I've gone, looked at my notes and said, well, just a few minutes ago you said, and they'll, and they'll look up and go, oh, I said that? Or, oh, I said that, didn't I? <laughs> um, 
besides the immediate usefulness of the notes, it again reveals that I have heard them, that I'm listening to them, maybe even better that they have um, than, than they have listened to themselves. You know, I've listened to them maybe sometimes better than they've listened to themselves. It also helps me, those notes, refresh my memory before following sessions, since I can't always keep everyone's story straight. I talk with so many people, you will too, over time, that I get details wrong and sometimes can't remember a single thing about their story. For example, when it's been months since we last talked, just yesterday, I referred to notes I had made at a previous appointment a year ago, and they were shocked in a good way when I referred to a certain person from their past that they had forgotten they'd even told me about. The, um, the sort of uh, condensed running commentary that I keep in my notes will also help me show the progress that they have made over time because I can go back and remind them when um, they where they were in the past and, and when they first visited me and, and things like that. I always date my notes and write down their homework assignment for memory's sake and text it to them if they are not taking notes themselves. People often ask for their homework again, you know, because they lost the notes that they were taking or my text, and I'm always glad I can pull out my session notes and retext them. Um, and I've moved away from physical handwritten notes to taking them on a tablet with a, a writing stylus. Uh, this allows me to have the notes with me wherever I am and more easily text them to someone else because they're in a digital, digital format. If you have two offices like I do, then sometimes meet people in a public place, which makes it a third office. It's reassuring to know you didn't leave your notes in your other office. All I have to do is grab my iPad and I'm good to go. This may seem like a small thing, but by using a digital device, I always have the time on top of my tablet so I don't have to you know, turn my head or, or flip my wrist up to work, look at a watch so that I know when the session is ready to, needs to be ended so I'm ready for a next one. Now this keeps me from looking at a clock and risking implying that I'm disinterested in them and anxious for them to leave. Uh, I know that sounds like a small thing, but when I can just see the time at the top of the tablet where I'm taking notes and I'm not turning my head to look at some clock or something, that helps me engage and helps them not feel like I'm distracted. On another important aspect of the digital notes is that my tablet is password protected. No more locked filing cabinets. Their personal information and story is protected from any unwanted viewing, and I can tell them as much and promise them that they are safe. And I have them with me. I'm not leaving notes somewhere where I'm not so someone could you know, break into a filing cabinet or something. Um, I have them with me, and they can't be found. So your job is to help them relax, feel comfortable in a familiar setting, begin to listen for places where healing is needed, and as you hear their story, to listen for possible reasons why there may be uh, wounds to begin with and write your ideas down. One thing I'll write down is when I hear something and they're um, um, making excuses for someone, I'll write that down. I even write down, you know, a particular, you know, We'll just call it a sin, you know. Oh, just I'll write down deceit when 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 they've been talking for a while, and I've heard several, and I'll write down hmm deceit, or I'll I'll, I'll write down fear, or I'll I'll write down confusion. Um, just impressions that I get when they're talking. I don't want to lose those impressions. I jot them down. Uh, one quick note in closing that I in intimidate at later. If you are an extrovert. Especially if you have a lot of words, as extroverts tend to do, you will need to learn great discipline and selflessness, not just for session one, but for every coaching encounter. 
as a spiritual coach, you are not there to air your own mess and um, elicit sympathy or to launch on long narratives or diatribes about yourself, your alleged thoughts or frustrations. I do not mean to be offensive or cruel, but this is this needs to be said. Find your own healing first. Do the work that it takes to open up to God's healing and thereby silence your own need to be heard or to prove yourself or to hear compliments and affirmation. Do not use how you are wired as an excuse to make every session into your own platform from which you can be heard. Talkative extroverts, especially those with open wounds in their own soul, often find themselves answering questions that the other person is not even asking. So there, I said it. Uh, but please realize that this, uh, that as a somewhat talkative introvert, they, they do exist. <laughs> and when they get to talk about things that are important to them, they do exist. Um, these comments are somewhat autobiographical. I, I, I've, I've been here. I've done this. Um, do not be a, a man or a woman of too many words because it will derail almost every aspect of spiritual coaching. This is also why those with a gift of teaching sometimes make bad coaches. And again, this is autobiographical because I have that gift and I want to slip into teacher mode. Sure, we often do teaching in spiritual coaching sessions, but teachers teachers are tempted to teach every session or the whole session or go on and on about the latest thing they've learned. Um, you know, I know for me that that when someone says something that triggers a particular thing I've taught before, oh, I want to just repeat that to them. And coaching, but coaching is not about me. So if you are a teacher, you may need to exercise as much self-control as the wordy extrovert. Next time on the Spiritual Coaching Dashboard, we will talk we will talk about another handful of things that make up the first coaching session. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you heard something that got your attention, whether it be for your own relationship with God or for coaching others, don't waste the divine nudge. Be sure to take the time to think through how to work the truth into your life and practice. If you do spiritual coaching, either formally or informally, remember that it is hard to lead where you have never been yourself. We pray that God uses the spiritual coaching dashboard to inform and transform your life before it reaches another. If you are in the upstate New York area, specifically Binghamton, or are visiting or just passing through, look Pastor Carrie and myself up. We'd love to have a cup of coffee with you and chat about our dynamic relationship with God or about how to do spiritual coaching in your context. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the podcast of The Spiritual Coaching Dashboard.